On the final show of the year, I'm joined by Adam Campbell, star of Great News, which has recently been added to Netflix's fantastic lineup worldwide. We talk about that, as well as about the craft of acting, and a whole lot more. It is going to be a great final show for 2018, so don't go anywhere. Hello and welcome to the final episode of Benjamin Mamakay's Talk To Me For 2018. I'm your host, Benjamin, and I couldn't be more excited to share with you my chat with Adam Campbell. Adam starred in Tina Fey's fantastic show, Great News, which was uh, on network TV over in America, and the rest of the world has recently seen it through uh, Netflix. Netflix picked it up as one of their original uh, shows through their distribution deals, and it's it's a really fantastic show. It's funny, it's clever, it also sta- stars Andrea Martin, and uh, he talks about that show as, as well as about a whole lot of other things, including the craft of acting, what it's like to achieve next, the differences in the industry between England and America. It is one of the most in-depth and insightful chats we've had on the show uh, this year. It's a wonderful conversation that I thoroughly enjoyed having with Adam. So sit back, relax, and enjoy my chat with Mr. Adam Campbell. Welcome to the show, and thank you so much for joining me today. Ben, it's an absolute pleasure, and thank you for having me on your show. Thank you for calling so early from Australia. Oh, no worries at all, Adam. Now, um, what inspired you to pursue a career in the performance industry? Well, my, uh, my dad uh, is a, was an English teacher. He's retired. And when I was a kid, he would take me to the theatre a lot, um, to the point where actually I didn't really enjoy... I, I often got quite bored watching plays, but it's, I was still able to watch the plays and think when I saw the actors... I would constantly think, oh, how would I say that if I was them? And, and it kind of, I felt that from a young age. And so I think that kind of blossomed into a desire to want to do what they were doing. Um, so it kind of started from just my dad putting me in front of actors. And then, um, and then actually after that, I started watching a lot of um, British comedy shows like uh, Blackadder and, and Rowan Atkinson um, stand-up comedy and, and things. And uh, I, that kind of, also inspired me to want to do, do it professionally. Um, so I think that was probably from when I was about seven or eight, that kind of, that, that started, that fire sort of got ignited in me. And once you realized you had that fire, how did you go about making it happen as a professional career? Well, um, I, what did I do? First of all, I basically just signed up to be in any school plays, you know, that I could be in. So at my primary school, I'm pretty sure there were one or two productions that we put on. And then when I went to secondary school, there was a, a you know, a, a theater, a theater show was put on every year. And so I always made sure I would be in that. Um, and I don't necessarily think I was any better than, you know, some of the other actors in that group. But it, it was definitely, it definitely gave me, um, it encouraged me in a way that I thought, oh, I really want to keep doing this. It didn't put me off, at least. Um, and then also, you know, along with school productions, I also joined uh, an amateur, um, It was it's called Musical Youth Theatre Company in Bath. I'm from Bath in southwest England. And they would put on a production every year, and I was in those as well. Um, again, I, did, I, don't, I wasn't necessarily a, a breakout star in those at all. But I, it definitely made me, encouraged me and made me think I could, I, I would like to pursue it as a career. And do you think you learn more from working on shows or on sets than from a formal training environment? <laughs> well, that's a really good question because 
I then, yeah, after, after going to school and stuff, I went to university and I studied drama and then I went to proper drama school in London. And the thing about that is that's three years of acting, of so, like pure acting. So you're almost doing it every day. And there's no actor in the world who works as much as you work as an actor in drama school, I think. There's, there, you, there's, there's no way to get that much um, sort of hands-on experience of being on stage as a, as a student does at drama school. Um, having said that, there's definitely a different learning thing that happens when you're doing it professionally because you've also got that pressure. You know, in drama school, it doesn't really matter too much if you make a mistake. Whereas on, on, on a, in a real job, you, the pressure is there that you really need to do a good job. You're getting paid for it. And, you know, to be blunt, you could potentially be fired if you're, if you're not putting your all into it. So, so there's definitely like a different a different pressure to kind of learn the craft maybe more intentionally than it than a, you know in a training scenario and how nervous were you on your first professional job actually ben i wasn't that nervous at all because i just finished at drama school and it had pumped me full of this confidence that was probably not justified and and i've got to say my first job i just swanned into it thinking i was the bee's knees and I, I kind of got, it was a rude awakening because I realized, oh, actually, I don't know what I'm doing in front of a camera. I've never done it before. And, you know, very quickly, I sort of realized that I had no right to be uh, so confident. But it, yeah, I wasn't nervous. I, I felt like, oh, I can do this. And it's taken me many, many years to kind of realize that I, that was probably not the best way to start. And obviously, you've done uh, theater as well as on camera work. Do you have a preference? Well, actually, I'll be honest, I haven't done any theatre work since I left drama school. So that was the last bit of theatre I did. Um, but I miss it greatly. Um, I've got to say, though, I, you know, and I haven't, I haven't worked professionally loads. I've, I've, you know, I've made a career, but I, don't, I haven't, like, worked, you know, a huge amount. I would say, though, of all that stuff, probably my favourite, the, 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 my favourite, like, experience is probably doing comedy on television because... Uh, it's a low pressure environment in terms of if you screw up a line, you can always take it again. Um, and it's, uh, it tends to be just a really good fun experience on set that everyone's just trying to, trying to make something funny. And I can't think of a better job than that really. There probably isn't one. (laughs) Now, um, obviously you grew up in England. You're now in LA. Talk to me about the move. Was that a career decision? Um, no, not sort of. Um, so I, I'm in LA because my, in 2004, I think it was, I got randomly got a job on a pilot on a TV show out here. And it was while I was actually just finishing up at drama school. And what it did was it gave me my, it gave me, a, you know, an eligibility to be in America. So it gave me a, a work visa and, you know, it put me in LA for, you know, at least a year to begin with. And and so that's kind of, I kind of ended up here, not because I necessarily desired to be in LA or I had kind of aspirations about being in in Hollywood or anything, but it just it that was just where the work was for me, my first job, and I never moved back because I then started to fall in love with LA and I started to just really love America, and um, I just never really left and 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 yeah, that was 15, 14 years ago. And uh, and I don't I don't think I'll go back. I also I've married an American uh, girl and I've got an American son now. So those are even more reasons that I can't run away, or at least not yet.
And um, have you noticed a whole lot of difference between what you saw of the UK industry and what you're living in the US industry? Well, yeah, as I said, not having worked in England much, I can't, it's hard to compare the two. I've done, I think maybe the audition process is slightly different in England compared to how it is in LA. And I know that because I've got a lot of English friends who've moved out and have sort of done pilot season in LA and, and have been through the kind of rigor of going into auditions and, and they're very quick. You, you can feel a bit like you're a piece of meat because you're just kind of being analyzed there and then yes, no, you don't even finish your scene. Sometimes you get kind of kicked out of the room and they bring someone else in. So I think my English friends have sort of said that seems almost like a, a um, you feel like cattle sometimes in Los Angeles in the audition um, process. And in England, as, as far as I understand, it seems I've had one or two auditions in England and they are far more kind of relaxed. You, you have a nice long talk with the writer or the director and the casting agent. And then you kind of meander into the scenes and it feels far more kind of relaxed and natural. Whereas in LA, it's like, I, I, which I quite like this process in LA, which is like you go in performance ready, wearing exactly what you should be wearing, where you're kind of dressed as the character and you need to imply in that 30 seconds that you're right for the role. So I think those are the differences sort of certainly in, in, in auditions. And in terms of work, like I said, I haven't really experienced being on set in England compared to Los Angeles. Now, one thing I, I have always found fascinating about the American audition process is the fact that you do go dressed to an extent as, as the character. And I, I can't find anywhere else in the world yeah. that does that. So do you have a wardrobe <laughs> right. of, of pre-made costumes? <laughs> well, I mean, it's not as, I guess it's not as specific as, you, you know, I wouldn't dress as a policeman if it was for, a, a you know, an audition for a cop. But it is, you know, if there's a, I often go in for like businessmen and stuff. So I'll, I'll probably wear at least a, a button up shirt with a collar and some decent shoes. Um, occasionally I'll wear, a, I'll wear a suit. Sometimes they ask that you wear a suit, you know, and then there are times when, you know, when you're going for sort of more of a grungy character and yeah, there's like one or two t-shirts I've got that are definitely my most sort of like, um, almost like vintage band t-shirts, which kind of, instantly give an impression that that you're slightly edgy so yeah i, I don't necessarily have a, a a box full of um dress-up clothes but there are definitely you, you definitely have to think about what you're going to wear before the audition because that's that first impression really counts and uh i mean it yeah it's i i, I learned that the hard way i think for the first couple of years i didn't think it was important and then some a casting agent said to me you know you really aren't dressed right for this role and I never forgot that advice. And when you're given a script, how do you go about preparing? What's your process to create a character? Uh, that's a really good question. Um, well, I, uh, well, often one thing I'll do first of all is find out who's written it and see if I, you know, and think, well, do I know their stuff? You know, if it's, if it's a, if it's a director or a writer that I've kind of, I've, I've seen their stuff before that can sometimes be helpful to kind of know what, maybe what the tone of the script's going to be. Um, and then I was, you know, I, I think I just read the script to begin with. And then, you know, if it's an audition, you've got a specific one or two scenes or, or one or 10 scenes that you've got to work on. And so I would look at those scenes in the context of the script and figure out, well, what's happened to that character up to this point and what's kind of, helpful to know and then um i would i mean the thing 
my goal is always to try and make it as natural as possible. So I'm like, how do I make the lines that he's got sound like they really are being spoken by someone who is in that situation? And I'm, I often I'm very bad at that. And I think that's a, a really hard thing to do. And some actors seem to just be able to do it without even thinking or they make it look so easy. Um, but that that is always my goal, I think, when I'm looking at a script. It's like, how can I make those words sound authentic and that I really, that, that I, like, I could overhear that person saying it in a cafe and it would sound real. Um, that's always my goal. And I very regularly fail at doing that. Well, speaking of challenges, what would you say is the most difficult role you've ever played? Um, that's, oh, oh gosh. Oh, well, do you know what? One that was really hard that actually never, it didn't quite get made in the end, but they were doing a remake of, so Robert Zemeckis was doing a lot of motion capture things. And he did, so for instance, he did, um, did you see uh, the Polar Express, I think was mm. motion capture. And I think that was Robert Zemeckis directed it. Um, and that was, yeah, that was Tom Hanks. I think that was him. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, am I thinking of, that was something else? No, no, I'm thinking of um, A Christmas Carol, which was uh, Jim Carrey. That was Robert Zemeckis, motion capture. And so he went through a period of, of years doing motion capture movies, and they were going to remake The Yellow Submarine, which was obviously animated originally in the was it late 60s, early 70s. And I was cast after a sort of very long, terrifying process uh, to play Ringo, and um, the, the rest of the Beatles were Carrie uh, um, Elways, Peter Serafinowicz, and uh, I can't remember his name, but another great guy. But the, so the, but the job was you really had to sound exactly like, I had to sound exactly like Ringo, and I had to play drums like Ringo, so that, you know, because it was motion capture, you, your body had to do exactly what Ringo would have done. And, and, and I found that extremely challenging. And to get the accent right, to get the tone right, I just, it was one of the, probably the hardest I've ever worked on a job. And we did a week of technical um, rehearsals for it. And then months passed and I think they just didn't end up making it in the end. And it wasn't, it never kind of came to fruition, but it was, you know, for a few months, it was a lot of work. Um, and, you know, the fact it wasn't made, I don't know, maybe there was a bit of a relief there for me because I was so scared of it. Yeah, and when there are projects like that one, or say a pilot that doesn't get picked up, does it does it feel a little bit yeah. sad that you never get, or the world never gets to see that work? Yeah, and actually, I've done a lot of pilots now, so you get all that excitement about getting the job, and then you film it, and it's exciting, and it's a whole new cast, and there's that buzz, and you get that feeling of like, oh, this is going to be on the air, potentially in in you know three months and and then you wait around and wait to see what the network is going to pick up that year and most of the time a pilot doesn't get picked up so you kind of you know the odds are stacked against you but even then when you get the news oh the pilot didn't get picked up it's still really sad because in that phone call that's kind of just dictated what your next year is going to be like you thought maybe that you were going to be working on that job and with those people for the next year and then suddenly you hear no they're not going to do it and, and like you said, yeah, that, that pilot never really gets seen. And so all that kind of work that you did on it, it almost feels like it was for nothing. Of course, it's not for nothing because it's all experience and you get to work with legitimately good directors and other actors. And, and you know, so the process itself is still extremely valuable. But sometimes, yeah, it does suck that, that, that all that work and money and, 
and effort kind of comes comes to nothing in terms of no one seeing it on the screen. Speaking of something people have seen, uh, is the show Great News, which had a couple of seasons, and Netflix has recently released it uh, outside of America. Yeah. So uh, talk to us about making that show and, and getting to work with Tina Fey and uh, Andrew Martin and some of the amazing cast. Do you know what? It's a real shame that Netflix has only just picked it up afterwards, after it's just been cancelled, because, you know, we did two seasons of it, and then I think Netflix started showing it last month, maybe. And actually, it's already, like, got loads of, good responses and it's such a shame that like we didn't have that audience available to us when we were actually on the air um but it was i mean that was an amazing job and i i you know for for, most people probably haven't seen it but just to kind of explain it was it was tina fey was um producing it and it was created by tracy wigfield who um has written with tina fey for many years but um most notably on 30 rock and so it kind of has that 30 rock humor. Um, and it's a bit, you know, there's lots and lots of jokes are kind of crammed into each scene. So it's very fast paced. Um, and I found it was just a dream job because it was a wonderful cast and really excellent writing. And it was filming in at Universal Studios, which was, you know, a 10 minute drive from my house. And it was just a dream come true to have that, to have that job. Um, and uh, yeah, working with the, the actors and the other actors on the show are just excellent. So Briga Helen, Andrea Martin, who pl- played Briga's mom, was just incredible. Uh, John Michael Higgins, who I'd obviously seen in loads of um, Christopher Guest movies, it was just working with him every day was was in itself just a, a one of the one of the peaks of the job. Um, Nicole Richie, Horatio Sands, um, it was just it was a, a brilliant brilliant cast and, and an amazing experience and just so devastatingly sad that it got cancelled uh, a few months ago. Obviously that is very much your show, you're one of the, the main cast, so does it feel very different when you do short stints right. on shows, you know, like Trial and Error or NCIS? Yeah, yeah, because when it, yeah, when you, um, I actually just did last week or the week, a, few, a couple of weeks ago, I just did an, an episode of a, an, a show called Speechless, which I don't know if you've got over there, but it's it is when you're doing a guest spot like when you're just doing an episode or two episodes or something it's very different because you you first of all you're not one of the lead roles so it's that is obviously a different experience but it's also you're not really part of the show so you, you don't know anyone on set or you know very few people on set and you're kind of very much going in having to kind of um fit the tone of the show from cold and um, and then of course at the end of the day you're kind of gone. So it's a, it's I love it because it's a really good experience and and you get to meet people who you know very quickly who you might not have met before. Um, but there's you know there's not as much um, if you're a lead in the show obviously there's so much more invested in it and and you kind of feel you have a lot more ownership of it than when you're just doing a, a small role like like I did in Trial and Error or something. Hmm. Do you, actually, Ben, this is a question. Do you have is trial and error on in Australia? Not yet, but oh, okay. I, I would very dearly like to see it. It's absolutely brilliant, and I'm not just saying that because my wife's in it. But it is truly a very, 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 very funny show, and it kind of it mocks um, all these these uh, crime documentaries that everyone's watching right now. So, Making a Murderer and the Jinx and stuff like that. They just kind of they're mock- It's a mockumentary that kind of takes the mickey out of those shows it's just extremely well done but uh, i recommend it when, when it's on over there 
Well, I will look out for it. And our listeners all over the world can, I'm sure, see it in at least some of their countries. Well, at least America. Yes, yeah. Now, uh, speaking of your wife, you did get to work with her on Great News. Was that an odd thing, working with somebody who, you know, you're obviously married to and live with? It was a nightmare. I thought I was going to have the day away from her, and sure enough, she showed up. Um, no, it was it was absolutely brilliant, and uh, she she really liked the show, so she was very excited to be asked to do it. And uh, we've done, we've worked together on quite a few things actually, and we uh, we always have a good time. Um, we well, we basically mock each other. So particularly if we're doing a scene together, she'll often if I if if the camera's on me and she's kind of behind camera delivering her lines, she'll usually mock me in some way, do a stupid dance, indicate with her nose that I'm smelly, uh, roll her eyes as if I'm not doing a very good job, and then she'll kind of subtly try to undermine my confidence by by implying to the cameraman that I'm not very good or suggesting to the director that the role is recast, that sort of thing. So so we'll, we'll, we'll mock each other, but it turns out being quite a good fun day. It certainly sounds like it. And now you've been working in the entertainment industry for for quite a while. How do you think things have evolved since you first started working? Um, well, I think. Well, it's funny because you know there's so much more. There are load more platforms now for TV shows to be made. You know, when I first started, Netflix was just beginning, and it wasn't making its own content, obviously. And then you know. Over the last few years, as you know, there's so much, so many more, like networks, if you will. You know, Amazon, Netflix, Hulu, Vudu. You know, or YouTube. Even you know, there are just so many new opportunities for people to make television shows, and that is definitely I, that is a, a surprise to me, um, because before it was sort of it, certainly in in America, it was the main networks: ABC, NBC. Fox, you know, the WB network back then. And now, it, yeah, now it feels like there's so many more things. But then also, it I don't necessarily feel like it means there's, oh, there's so many more jobs to be had. I don't know if I feel that necessarily personally. But um, it kind of feels like the Wild West at the moment, that TV is kind of becoming, and is, is entering a new territory, and we're all just trying to keep up with it. I understand that. And does having all those you know, networks and streaming services almost negate pilot season? Because from what, what I found, at least, is that you know the, the main networks still have their pilot season, but Netflix and Amazon and, and Hulu, all their auditions are sort of all throughout the year, so there's no concentrated space yeah. of opportunity. Yeah, I, you know, I, I'll compare it to... I haven't done pilot season now for two years because I've been on the show... But the last time I had pilot season, it was, it was busy and it was all networks. I found that pilot season is still, it, there is still like a ramp up of, for pilot season starting in sort of the end of January, beginning of February through till May. I still feel that is, even though there are all these other streaming um, platforms in play, I still feel like the busiest time in LA is still pilot season for the networks. Now, that might be different this year, but I, I certainly felt that two years ago. It, pilot season was still very, very, like, um, as it always has been, very, very busy for those, for those few months. Um, but sure enough, yeah, you're right. There's, you know, there's stuff casting. Uh, I got sent an audition for an, an Apple, a new Apple show that's just sent this morning. So that's, you know, that could be 
that's unusual, but that's a TV show. Or, or earlier yesterday, there was something, a YouTube show that um, was sent. You know, so I think it is kind of bleeding into the rest of the year because, yeah, because there are so many other networks. Do you, you're, you're, do you feel, have you been out to LA and done pilot season yourself? Ben. I've done a lot of self-tapes for pilot season, but I've never actually spent right. the time out there. Um, that that would right, right, right. be a little scary, I think, a little overwhelming. Well, it is and it isn't. I, I mean, doing the self-tape is, I, I mean, it, it's just as kind of scary in a sense because you're still putting, your, putting, your, putting yourself forward and you know that people with influence are going to watch you. Um, but I, yeah, I mean, it's not as nerve-wracking as going in the room with with people, I suppose. But um, I don't know. I suppose that there's there's some sometimes there's an advantage to being in the room rather than being on tape. But then at least when you're on tape, you get to pick which edit you send, which you don't get to do in an in an audition room. But you can very much overthink your audition when you're self-taping. Oh God, yeah, that's true. Yeah, and then you kind of re. Yeah, actually, I do that as well. You know, you kind of rewatch the scene and think, "Oh, that one's not very good because I'm picking my nose there." Or yeah, that's true. Actually, you can be almost too um, critical of yourself when you're self-taping. Um, but do you do? Who do you do? You who just a friend reading the lines for you? Yeah. 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 So I when I have to self-tape, my my wife read, reads in the lines. And she's quite honest. Actually. It's quite helpful to have someone who has an opinion who sort of says, no, stop it. That wasn't very good. Let's do that again. And she's quite honest with me. At least that's kind of, maybe she's doing more of the editing than I'm doing when I self-tape. That's kind of helpful. It certainly would be, yeah. Now, um, what, what do you think is one of the most common misperceptions about being an actor? <laughs> um, oh. oh, it's really... Because I think when people find out you're an actor... They either think, oh, you're an out-of-work actor who's probably actually says he's an actor but is actually a waiter, or they go to the other other extreme and think, well, you must be a multi-billionaire with seven houses if you're an actor. <laughs> so I think both both are obviously not true, but it's funny how people, you know, people jump to one of the one of those conclusions that either you're a kind of absolute failure or you're a, a megastar and there's sort of nothing in between. And I think for most of us in LA, we're somewhere in between those two extremes. Yeah, I think that's that can be said for the industry worldwide. Most actors and professional actors fall in the middle. Yes, they fall, exactly. And it's a nice place to be sometimes. I mean, yeah, I, I think maybe the other thing, I, I think maybe people assume, oh, if you're an actor, you're probably... I mean, there's a lot of, like, negative stuff that people associate with actors, isn't there? Like, they're probably full of themselves and they're probably uh, quite vain and quite arrogant. And actually, those are, all, those are all issues that I'm probably working on as much as I can to kind of better myself. And I'm probably guilty of, of uh, having those tendencies as much as anyone else. But I think actors are they're a lot more, in my experience, and certainly, you know, the, the, the more successful actors I've worked with, they are the opposite of that. They're actually extremely sensitive, not necessarily self-confident. They, they have huge doubts and, and, and um, are quite um, unassuming people, but still like exceptionally good and talented. So it kind of, I think sometimes like the really good actors are the opposite of what you'd expect them to be, which is they're not outgoing and gregarious. They're quite withdrawn, quiet, and like I said, sensitive. 
Um, and that's always quite refreshing to, to be reminded of that because, um, yeah, that, 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 that you can, you can be an actor and not maybe, and maybe you don't have to be the other things that people expect you to be. And the people who are less gregarious are much easier to work with as well, from my experience. I, uh, yeah. Oh yeah. I agree with that. Do you, what, what yeah. As in, do you mean that you've kind of met people and thought they would be difficult or thought they would be like um, unbearable, but actually you meet them and they're, and they're a lot better? Absolutely. I, I definitely concur with that. I think there's many, like there's a few actors I, I kind of kind of dreaded working with. So I thought, oh no, they're going to be like oh, so overpowering and so like mean on set and stuff. And they turn out to be the exact opposite. You know, they turn out to be lovely and humble and, you know, supportive and all the rest of it. So leading from that, who's been your favourite actor or actress to work with? Um, all right, so probably my favourite. I, I was, when I was at drama school, you know, the British office came out. That was in 2002 or three, I think, when the British office came out. Hmm. And I was obsessed with Ricky Gervais and Stephen Merchant for, for years after that. And so then I got an audition to for a, a role on Hello Ladies, which was Stephen Merchant's HBO show. And I couldn't believe it, but I got, I got the job. And so it, it felt like an out-of-body experience. I was actually going to go and work with someone I'd been admiring for many, many years. And it, you know, talk about being nervous about what sort of person he was. And even from the audition, the, the guy was just, is so down to earth, so um, sort of collaborative, um, this is Stephen Merchant I'm talking about. Um, very like, just everything I'd always hoped he'd be, and it, you know, and ostensibly he has so much to brag about because he's had so much success in the industry. But he's he seems to be. I bet his friends who he was at school with in Bristol probably say he's exactly the same guy, and that is tends to be the measure of the actor if they kind of if fame has changed them or if they kind of have just remained the same. And I'd say that he's someone who's remained the same. But I was so thrilled to be working with him and on that show particularly like i think that's probably 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 my the the most exciting job i've had to date certainly sounds great and and speaking of fame do you think there's a new generation of aspiring performers who are only interested in the industry because they think it brings fame well i think that's always been the case don't you i mean i know yeah i mean i think people have always been drawn to it because it's like drawn to the industry because maybe it's it's uh it's a way of getting people to look at you and a way of getting people to give you attention um maybe more so now i yeah maybe not though i mean i feel like maybe acting isn't necessarily the easiest way now to get famous i think with with youtube and social media i think people are able to kind of fulfill that that desire to be famous in much easier ways by making videos of themselves in their bedrooms and or doing something you know uh extreme to get clicks um so i i i think the desire to be famous has probably always been there for people but but i think the opportunities to do it are maybe different and actually acting maybe is is one of the harder ways of doing it because acting is so competitive Hmm. And do you think social media has changed the the casting approach? Because I know that certain casting agents and directors look at people's social media following when they go in for an audition. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think it has, it does have an effect. Um, 
there was a friend a friend of mine is a is a producer and he was uh he's been working on a show and he said between the three lead cast members that he's put in his show there are a billion followers so i guess that's across instagram and twitter or something so i think it was three or five maybe five actors or something and I think for advertisers, knowing that those five actors are going to tweet and post about that show, that means that the show has a, probably a greater chance of success. Um, so I think it inevitably pay, plays into it. You know, the, you know, should it play into it? I don't know. Maybe. I, I, I suppose it's just a, a, um, it's always been the case that if, if someone is recognizable in some way, they're going to command. Uh, more money and maybe and maybe the expectation for that project is going to be higher that more people are going to want to see it i suppose it's the same now with instagram and twitter that if you have that many followers the producers are going to think well let's hire that person because the chances of us getting more eyes on our product are higher um but i that terrifies me because i have about six followers and so i that's something like i you know i i can't really play that game unfortunately but um yeah, I'd be interested to know whether it really makes a difference. I, 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 I'd, I'd like to know that, if it really has the effect that people hope it does. Mm. It's an interesting one. Yeah. Now, for you personally, what would you like to achieve next in your career? Um, well, I always said, and this, is my, this has been my goal since I went to drama school, is that I, I just always wanted to make a living as an actor and that is a big ask because there's so little work out here, out here but that was always my goal was just to say to, just to be able to make a living as an actor and fortunately up to this point I've been able to and and so I suppose that the, the next thing I do I suppose I, I you know I want it to you know to be my bread and butter but I suppose artistically I I'd, I'd love to do like I've done a lot of comedy and stuff I'd really like to do maybe something a bit more dramatic I miss that and I miss I miss doing theatre from from drama school, and and so I maybe something that challenges me in that way a bit of drama or a bit of theatre I think would be would be really good for me. Well, that would be great, and I know that our listeners and, and myself will keep our eyes peeled. Now, finally, what advice would yeah, you? Do. Oh, yeah, of course. Um, now, what advice would you offer to anyone looking to work in the performance industry? Um, <laughs> well, uh, I think the I think the first. I think the first question you should ask yourself, is this really what you want to do? And there are many ways of testing that. And one way is just by volunteering, for, you know, to be in amateur productions as an actor to really see if you want to do it. And if, if, if the person's a lot younger and they're still in school, just get in school productions and try it out, do as much stuff as you can, maybe make videos yourself or with friends and just see if acting is really what you want to do. Because I do think some people go into acting thinking they want to do it, and they realize after a while, that actually, I don't want to do that. I want to do something else. So before you put all your eggs in one basket, I'd say really make sure that it's what you want to do and that, and, and, and that maybe you, you could see yourself growing you know, in it. Um, that would be my first bit of advice. And then if, if it really is what you want to do and, and no one can change your mind, then I would say... Um, just uh, stick with it, Be uh, even though it's hard. Stick with it, and and it, it's it's a job where you know it's like an audition is like a job interview, but you know three times a week. And I know my other friends who are in business and you know who have job interviews maybe once or twice a year. 
they get extremely nervous for it. They buy a new suit. They prepare for weeks. You know, well, actors have to go through that disappointment frequently, and so you're kind of very often met with 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 um, rejection and disappointment. And so my advice would be to to stick with it and not let um, not let momentary disappointments put you off the the greater goal, which is to kind of achieve your your dream, which is to be in, to be in the industry. And also the other thing, I'll stop talking in a second, but the other thing is, is to celebrate all, all advances. So celebrate when you get even a good note on your audition. Like if, if a casting director said, you know what, you weren't right for the job, but we really thought you were very good, or we really thought you did a great thing in that scene, that is a bit of feedback that is worth celebrating because what it's doing is, is encouraging you and showing you that you're on the right career path. That you're not that you're actually pretty good at what you're doing you might not have got the job but it's still a a a step in the right direction so i would you know my wife and i make sure that we celebrate every time we you know uh get through one big hurdle like a screen test or something or we even get an offer of a screen test that's a great reason to celebrate because it shows that you're kind of heading in the right direction because if you don't celebrate those little things you probably won't celebrate getting the getting the jobs in the future well, Adam, thank you so much for your wise words and your time today. It has been a pleasure having you on the show. Ben, it's been great. You know, I've liked it because I've got to talk about myself for half an hour. Isn't that every actor's dream? It's been a, it's been a fantasy of mine and I, it's finally been met. So I'm very grateful to you. <laughs> no, it, it's been a pleasure, genuinely. That was my chat with Adam Campbell. Now, as I said, this is the last show for 2018. It has been a fantastic year for the podcast. We've loved having you with us as listeners, and thanks to all of our incredible guests and our supporters, Palace Nova Cinemas, Mad Zombie Collectibles, and ZQ Racing, for their continued support and time over 2018. The final instalment of the Phoenix Files trilogy, starring BAFTA nominee Paul McGann, and based on the incredible young adult novels by Chris Morphew, is out now. So that is all three Phoenix Files available right now. Now, last year, around this time, I chatted with the series author, uh, Chris Morphew. He wrote the novels, uh, which, which I adapted into a series of audio dramas. So go back a year of podcasts, have a listen to that chat if you want to know a little bit more about The Phoenix Files, and then you can actually buy all three. So the trilogy, The Phoenix Files, Man in the Shadows, The Phoenix Files, Blood in the Ashes, and The Phoenix Files, Life in the Flames are all available for downloading or for streaming across iTunes, Amazon, Google Play, and you can download them all directly at phoenixfilesaudio.com. The series stars BAFTA nominee Paul McGann, alongside the chasers Andrew Hansen, uh, Dirty Dancing's Kurt Phelan, and uh, Grease's Stephen Mahi. It's a wonderful cast. Over 40 Australian actors uh, were, were recorded across uh, many, many locations all around Australia and the world. So I do encourage you to check that out. It's been a joy to direct and produce that series for the last few years, and I hope that you enjoy listening to it. And now uh, it is that wonderful time of year coming up here in Australia again. It's Fringe Festival season. And you've probably heard me talk a little bit about Great Detectives in the past. That had an uh, Australian tour, which a lot of you loved. And I'm very excited that a sequel show, Great Detectives 2, is debuting in the Adelaide Fringe Festival. Let's hear a trailer for that. After Great Detectives delighted audiences across the country for four years... Preachers podcast online and on stage are proud to debut Great Detectives 2. This brand new show features audience favourites Candy Matson and Johnny Dollar. Great Detectives 2 premieres at the Morfordville Racecourse from February 22nd.
Join us for another night of mystery, intrigue, and comedy. Tickets available now through Fringe Ticks. And that is correct. Tickets are available right now through adelaidefringe.com.au or you can call the box office or walk up in person to one of Fringe Ticks' many outlets across Adelaide. And also during Adelaide Fringe, I am working with the incomparable TV and radio personality Ben Sorensen. We have uh, teamed up as a little bit of a comedy duo and we're presenting hashtag Bunny Pastards Hardly Trivial Trivia. It's going to be a great show. So uh, get tickets for that as well. Very limited runs for all of my festival shows this year because it's going to be a, a hugely busy year. And if you're in Adelaide, also go see Anne of Green Gables, the musical. I've been directing the professional premiere of that here in South Australia. And uh, the cast is incredible. It's got Deborah Caddy in it, who has played Madame Jury in, in, uh, in The Phantom of the Opera and has toured the world with, with that uh, production. And also Adrian Barnes, who is another incredible West End performer. Um, they star in it alongside Izzy Darmont, who was in The Phoenix Files. It's one of the best casts I've ever seen assembled for an Australian show, and it's been a pleasure to direct that. And as I said, thanks to our incredible supporters, Mad Zombie Collectibles, Palace Nova Cinemas, and ZQ Racing. All of their details are on the site under the supporters section. It has been an incredible year. I wish all of our listeners a wonderful, happy holidays. We'll be back sometime in uh, late January, early February with another full season of shows. It'll be our sixth season next year, six years of Talk To Me. It's been an absolute pleasure. I've been your host, Benjamin May McKay. Have a good holiday break, everyone. We'll see you next year.